Welcome back to Heroes of the Faith, a show where we are inspired by the lives of the saints so that we can become saints ourselves. I am your host, Isaac Longworth, and today I want to talk with you about one of my favorite saints of all time. He's a personal hero. He has inspired me in the faith. His example has led me to become a better Catholic, and I have had more requests to feature him on this show from listeners than I have for any other saint. He's extremely popular. He's probably familiar to you because he lived not too long ago. I remember the day that he died. I'm talking about St. John Paul II. Easily one of the greatest popes in church history. I firmly believe he deserves the title, The Great. St. John Paul the Great, an amazing saint. And I'm so excited that you get to learn about his life. Maybe learn some things that you didn't know about him, even though he is so famous. He was born with the name Karl Wojtyla in 1920 to a Polish family. Now he was raised Catholic in a Catholic family, but very early on in his life, He was marked by tragedy because his mother died when he was only eight years old. And so his father had to take care of Carl and his older brother, Edmund, who was 14 years older than him. Now, Edmund was Carl's hero growing up. He looked up to his older brother. Uh, Edmund was athletic. He was smart. After he left home, after he left the Wojtyla home, he had become a doctor. And so Carl really looked up to Edmund and tried to imitate his life. He tried to imitate Edmund by excelling in school. He was a very smart kid and also becoming the neighborhood goalie for soccer games, just like his brother. Now, their Polish town where they grew up had a very significant Jewish minority living there, which was important at that time because Catholics and Jews didn't always get along at that point in history. Anti-Semitism was a growing problem in Poland at the time, but Karl was known for having both Jewish and Catholic friends. He kind of uh, bucked the system there. He wasn't following along with the anti-Semitic culture there, and he would even sometimes play goalie for the Jewish team when they needed extra players. So he wasn't afraid to switch sides and play with his Jewish friends. When Karl was only 12 years old, he learned that there was another death in the family because his beloved brother Edmund had contracted scarlet fever while taking care of one of his patients and had died. And so Carl was left with only his dad out of the whole family. And so the two became very close, best friends, inseparable. After Carl graduated high school, the two of them left their small town and journeyed to Krakow, a much larger city, so that Carl could go to university there. Now, Carl's father, Mr. Wojtyla, was a man of prayer. From his bed, Carl would watch his dad pray for long hours on his knees, late at night, and when he would wake up in the morning, his dad would already be praying. And so the two of them would pray together. They would read the Bible, they would pray the rosary together, and so Carl was really learning from his father how to become a man of prayer. And it was in this context of prayer, in this relationship with God, that Carl began to experience a call to the priesthood. The Lord was putting this vocation on his life. But the peaceful days of Carl's early life were not going to last much longer because his country was on the brink of war. The terrible war, the great war of World War II. Adolf Hitler and his infamous Nazi forces had set their sights on Poland. And the Germans invaded while Karl 
was in university. And the Nazis poured over the Polish border with blinding speed. They had superior forces, technology, numbers. And so after less than a month of fighting, Poland was completely under Nazi control. Now, obviously, this invasion was a terrifying experience for Karl. Can you imagine what it would be like to have the Nazis conquer your country in less than a month? The Nazis believed that ethnic Slavs, so the Polish people would be included in this group of people, were less valuable than Germans. And so the Nazis had no problem killing Polish people indiscriminately. They wanted to completely destroy Polish culture. And so they closed the universities in Poland. They rounded up uh, poets and actors and authors and musicians and sent them off to work camps or just killed them outright. And they persecuted the church. They wanted to destroy the Polish identity, the Polish culture. And so Karl's university was closed. And so in order to avoid being deported for slave labor in Germany, which many of the Polish men were having done to them, Karl took on a new job doing manual work in a limestone quarry. And then later he worked in a chemical factory. And so it was very difficult work, uh, but he didn't let the backbreaking manual labor break his spirit. He didn't let that get to him. He had always had an artistic soul. And so he joined with other Polish idealists in that area to form an underground theater group while he was working. And this theater group performed traditional Polish plays and poems in order to keep their culture and their faith alive. It was their own way of rebellion, of defiance to the Nazis who were trying to crush the spirit of the Polish people. One day when he was 19 years old, Karl came home from work and found that his father had died from a heart attack. And Karl's heart was crushed. This was the last surviving family member that he had had. And now he was dead too. First his mother, then Edmund, and now his dad, leaving him all alone before he had turned 20 years old. And so after his dad's death, Carl made the decision that now was the time to pursue his call to the priesthood. Now was the time to answer with a yes to the Lord's call for him to be a priest. But it wasn't just easy for him to go and become a priest. The Nazis had closed all the seminaries. They weren't allowing anyone to study for the priesthood. And so Carl had to join an underground seminary. He had to take his classes in secret. And he could be arrested or killed if he was ever discovered by the Nazis. And he still had to keep up the appearance that he was a worker. So he had to keep working, had his job. He would study on his breaks or after his shift was done, doing all that he could to become a priest despite the Nazi oppression. Well, eventually the Nazis did lose the war and they were forced to leave Poland. And once they had left in their absence, Russian troops, Soviet troops, replaced the Nazis in Poland not as their liberators, but as new oppressors of the Polish people. The Polish people traded the Nazis for the Russians, and it was hard to tell who was worse to them. The Soviet army had been enemies of the Nazis, but they were no friend of Poland. And so the Polish continued to experience tyranny and abuse by this new occupying force. You see, the Russians also wanted to destroy the culture of Poland, and they wanted to replace that with communist ideology. They wanted to replace the strong faith of the Polish people, faith in God, with communistic atheism. 
They wanted all the Polish people to embrace atheism. They wanted them to leave behind their culture and idolize the government instead of God. And so it was in this culture that Karl was ordained a priest. And he began to serve the Polish church in the midst of this Soviet occupation. Now the Russians, they limited public expressions of the faith. They closed church schools. They stole their property. They even began to bribe priests to preach to their congregations support for communist ideals. And those who didn't go along with it were arrested, were killed, or just simply went missing, kidnapped by the secret police. And so Father Carl had to minister in this environment. He had to serve as a priest while, again, not letting them get to his spirit. Father Carl had always maintained his athletic lifestyle. He loved playing soccer as a kid. And as he got older, he also loved skiing. He loved hiking. He loved canoeing and kayaking. He loved all these different sports. And so he found that he could use those sports as a creative outlet to evangelize people. And so he would invite young adults and teenagers to go on skiing and kayaking trips with him in order to pass on the faith to the next generation. And so on these adventures, on these trips, around the campfire at night, he would tell them the stories of the faith. He would preach the gospel to them. He would say mass for them in the woods. Passing on the faith to the next generation in the midst of an atheist government that was trying to suppress him. Eventually, he was appointed to be a bishop serving the Diocese of Krakow. And as a bishop, he was strong in refusing to be bribed or pressured or threatened into collaborating with the Soviets. They were trying to change Poland into an atheistic state. They were trying to get the bishops on their side. But Karl Wojtyla would not budge. He began hosting outdoor masses in places where the Soviets had refused to allow a church to be built. He drew thousands of people to celebrate their faith in open defiance of the communists. He was not afraid of the Soviet government. Now, after he was appointed a cardinal by the Pope, he traveled to Rome to participate in the Second Vatican Council. This was an extremely important council at the time, a massive council that was attended by over 2,000 bishops from all over the world. And the Second Vatican Council was designed to help prepare the church to continue her mission in the midst of a changing modern world. The world had gone through so many changes. The culture had been moving at such a fast pace that the church recognized that they needed to have a council to address how they were supposed to live out our faith in the midst of this changing world. And so Cardinal Wojtyla was called to Rome to help out with this council. He specifically worked with the church's stance on the right to religious freedom. So this was an area of speciality you can imagine for Cardinal Wojtyla at the time because he came from a country, Poland, where Catholics were not free to worship. And so he helped the church draft their stance on the religious freedom that man has. And so when the Pope died soon after, Cardinal Vetiwa was called to Rome again with all the other cardinals, not for a council, but this time to elect a new Pope. And so they elected a new Pope, John Paul I. But this Pope, he only survived 33 days. He died about a month later. And so the cardinals were called back again to elect a new Pope. 
And at this new time of election, when they were voting for a new pope, and the votes were counted, Karl Wojtyla was named the very next pope. Now, he accepted the results, he became the pope, and he took the name of John Paul II, honoring his predecessor, John Paul I, who had died so quickly before. And in his opening homily to the crowds who had assembled in St. Peter's Square to hear him, he said these powerful words that would set the tone for his ministry as pope. He said to them, open wide the doors for Christ. To his saving power, open the boundaries of states, economic and political systems, the vast fields of culture, civilization, and development. Do not be afraid. And this set the tone for his ministry because he was without fear. Pope John Paul II was characterized by a boldness in opening door after door after door, proclaiming salvation in Christ to the whole world. He is one of the most traveled popes in history. He visited 129 countries. He traveled all over the place. And it is believed that he is the most viewed man in human history, that he has been seen by the most people. Millions upon millions flocked to see him wherever he went. And he was constantly in the news and on TV. He met with leaders from various world religions, building bridges with them, working together for peace with them. He built relationships with the Jewish people who he had always been close with since the time he was a kid playing soccer with them in the streets. But he also reached out to Muslims and Buddhists and many other world religions, seeking greater unity with separated Christians as well from Orthodox and Protestant communities. And Pope John Paul II became famous for apologizing to many of these different groups for the ways that Catholics in history had misrepresented the church by mistreating those from other religions, building bridges, extending peace towards them in order to have a platform to share the truth of Christianity. He also was uh, an amazing author. John Paul II wrote an astonishing amount of works. He averaged writing about 3,000 pages a year. And he wrote so many different kinds of things. He wrote philosophical reflections and letters. Uh, he wrote poetry and plays. He wrote books and theological masterpieces. This man wrote it all. And one of his most famous works is called The Theology of the Body. And it's a teaching, a beautiful teaching on the Christian understanding of sexuality, on what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. And his writing is so deep. The truths that he's teaching are so profound that theologians today are still unpacking all of what it means. Pope John Paul II was a brilliant author and theologian. In his Theology of the Body, he explains how man doesn't make sense without woman. And woman doesn't make sense without man. Both of them have been designed by God to be a gift of their very self to the other. And John Paul II taught beautifully that sexuality isn't something that's bad or that's dirty. But our sexuality is a gift given to us by God because he loves us and he wants us to use this gift properly. 
John Paul II wrote about many more things than that, though. He wrote about the Blessed Virgin Mary. He had a deep love for the Blessed Mother. His papal motto, actually, that he took was totally yours, totally yours. And this was referring to the fact that he had consecrated his whole life to Mary, that he totally belonged to her, that he had entrusted to her all of his concerns, all his prayers, all his work, so that she could perfect them and offer them to her son on his behalf. He had given everything over to his blessed mother. John Paul II was the very first pope to use the term new evangelization, which has kind of become a buzzword in our church today. And if you've heard that before, that was started by Pope John Paul II. He gave the church a new passion and fire to live out their mission to bring Jesus to the world, to evangelize the world. He was loved by young people. They flocked to see him wherever he went, and he loved them as well. He started World Youth Day, which is now an annual thing that popes do, where youth gather. The largest World Youth Day happened in the Philippines with St. John Paul II, where five million young people came to see the Pope. He continued to love sports and the outdoors. He never lost that since the time he was a kid playing soccer uh, to the time that uh, he would take those young adults on those skiing and kayaking trips to evangelize them in the midst of Soviet Poland. Well, that didn't change when he became a pope. He was known for sneaking away from the Vatican to go skiing by himself. And sometimes he would even evade the Swiss guards. He would hide or use disguises to escape them so that he could hit the slopes by himself. He escaped those who were trying to protect him, which I'm sure they didn't appreciate all the time, but he's the Pope. What are you going to do? He was uh, well-loved by Catholics and non-Catholics alike all over the world. He had tons of fans, um, but his work as a Pope also made him many enemies. He wasn't loved by everyone. For one, the communists in Europe did not like that a Polish cardinal who had defied their attempts to make Poland atheist was now suddenly the Pope, was now suddenly the most powerful man in the church. And they definitely didn't like it, that he used his new power as Pope to fight communism on a global level, which is exactly what St. John Paul II did. He traveled back to communist Poland, despite the fact that he had been warned by communist leaders not to interfere with what was happening there. And he boldly preached the truth of God in the face of their atheism. And his words of faith, his defense of human rights, his complete lack of fear played a huge role in the defeat of communism because people were inspired by him and fought back under his leadership against the totalitarian regime. And so 11 years after John Paul II became Pope, the Berlin Wall came down symbolizing the collapse of the communist empire in Eastern Europe. And the Polish president himself said that we wouldn't have had a free Poland without John Paul II. John Paul also made enemies because he was constantly defending the Catholic Church's teaching on hot-button issues, issues like abortion, same-sex marriage, women's ordination, and contraception. And he was often slandered by the media as anti-woman, as too rigid, as too traditional. They attacked him. They opposed him. He had many critics. But one day the attacks on the Pope actually threatened his life. They went beyond just scathing headlines. Because while driving in an open car one day, John Paul II was shot. An assassin fired four bullets at the Pope 
striking him in the abdomen and in his hand. And he was in critical condition and was rushed to a hospital where he was in surgery for five hours. But even though he was shot, that didn't stop him from praying over a microphone with the crowds who had gathered outside of the hospital to pray for him. Now, the bullets had narrowly missed his internal organs. If they had struck any one of those organs, he would have been dead. But they all missed as if by a miracle. And John Paul II credited Mary with saving his life. Because he said, one hand pulled the trigger, but another hand guided the bullet. He firmly believed that even though the assassin had tried to kill him, that Mary had intervened and deflected those bullets away from his internal organs. And when he was healed up from his wounds, the Pope actually visited his would-be assassin who was in prison. And he spoke with him and he forgave him. And he continued to stay in contact with him through letters and he even developed a relationship with his family. Pope John Paul II is an amazing example of forgiveness in the face of violent hatred that even sought to take his life. Now, as the Pope got older, he became weaker and weaker, suffering from many different illnesses um, and especially Parkinson's disease, which really began to have an effect on him. And near the end of his life, he could barely speak. He could barely walk. He was extremely frail. He wasn't uh, able to hear very well, but crowds still gathered to hang on his every word. People would often break into tears just from seeing him, from experiencing the love that he had for them, even in his last moments. Eventually, Pope John Paul II became so weak that he was on his deathbed and he actually died on the Vigil of Divine Mercy Sunday. Divine Mercy Sunday was a day that he had declared to be celebrated in the church. He had instituted Divine Mercy Sunday after he had canonized a fellow Pole, a Polish nun named St. Faustina Kowalska, a nun who had had visions of Jesus as the Divine Mercy. And John Paul II, after he had canonized St. Faustina, had elevated the divine mercy to be celebrated on the Sunday after Easter to proclaim to the world the mercy of Jesus, to have that celebrated. And so I think it's so fitting that he died on that day that he had instituted. And I remember when John Paul II died. I was nine years old. You probably remember where you were when you first heard that John Paul II died as well. I was at a friend's house and I heard the mom of my friend crying and calling all of us to come to the TV because the Pope had died. And we watched the news headlines talking about the life of this man. And I just remember seeing people crying and praying and hugging each other because he was such an incredibly impactful Pope. He had quite literally changed the course of human history he had set such a compelling vision forward for the church. He was such a giant in the faith. He had literally inspired a whole generation of Catholics to be more on fire for their faith. And I'm proud to say that I am a fruit of that. But my parents and my family and my friends were all inspired by this man, just a giant, a hero in the faith. And so let's pray right now to this amazing saint, St. John Paul II, 
that we would become saints like his, that we would become saints who are filled with the same fire and vision for the church, the same holiness and greatness that he showed in his life, that he modeled for us in the years that he led the church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. John Paul II, you had a deep love for Mary, that your devotion to her really marked your life in a powerful way. You had consecrated everything you did to her motherly care. Help us to imitate you in entrusting our lives to our Heavenly Mother so that she can bring us to Jesus, that we would be unafraid to be totally hers just like you were. You were unafraid to live out your faith in the midst of a culture of militant atheism. And you were able to build relationships with people from all different faiths in order to lead them to the truth of God. Let us be like you in boldly sharing the gospel with everyone who we meet and opening wide the doors of our own hearts to Jesus to seek deeper conversion for our own lives at every moment. John Paul, you forgave those who slandered you, who mocked or hated you, even those who tried to kill you. Help us to always extend mercy to others, no matter what they do to hurt us. And help us to defend the controversial truths of the church, just like you did. And be willing to count the cost, to be willing to risk hatred and opposition for our defense of truth. St. John Paul the Great, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.